Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed. In today's top stories, St. Thomas Humane Society's Director Michelle Robbins responds to community outrage over recent layoffs and euthanasias. GERS Administrator Angel Dawson says despite a series of bad investments, they aren't the only contributing factor to account for the system's shortfalls. The Department of Education and Department of Health is hosting a series of webinars to boost literacy in the territory. These stories and more on today's WTJX Newsfeed. From the Virgin Islands Public Broadcasting System Studios on St. Thomas, this is the WTJX Newsfeed with Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed, bringing you the latest news and updates throughout our community. In a somber turn of events following the large-scale transport of over 300 animals, the Humane Society of St. Thomas recently laid off most of its staff members. Members of the community took to social media to criticize the move and question the trust of the organization. Speaking to the community on the Humane Society's Facebook page, Michelle Robbins, the executive director, stated they were only able to keep five staff members on board to help run multiple departments at the shelter. The decision, she says, was made with a heavy heart after they had reached out to its donors in hopes of being able to cover the month's payroll. It really came down to not having any funding for this, uh, which we haven't had for a while. We had previously been asking donors to help support the payroll um, because we just weren't fundraising enough uh, money to support it in the past. The thrift store covers some money, um, but we, we just weren't able to do it even in the past and it came down to this payroll period on thursday and we again we're like can we you know we're trying to get some funding um done quickly by the donors and um they just said no the shelter operates largely on donations and according to robbins continued decline in financial support was precipitated with the news that the shelter would euthanize some of the dogs our policy hasn't changed. It's the same one that's been there since uh, 2010. Um, you know, we don't want to euthanize for space ever. Um, we do it only for medical and behavior. Um, up until recently, because we have hoarded dogs, uh, you know, everywhere, they again, they were in hallways and offices and storage spaces in the front lobby and laundry. They were everywhere. And because of that, we clearly never euthanized the dogs for aggression either. Um, or, you know, and we did try with the transport really hard to get these dogs rescues and to find a place anywhere that would take these behaviorally challenged dogs. She says they did, in fact, have to put four dogs down because they were too aggressive. One was at the request of the owner after the dog had attacked an individual and three had been longtime residents of the shelter and had grown increasingly aggressive. She says euthanasia is always the last option and the decision is never made lightly. 
there was one rescue that said, you know, if we can keep working with this dog until March, then maybe we can send it to them in March as, as long as we're showing improvement with this dog. And so we have been working very hard uh, trying to get this dog some some hope. Responding to rumor that the Humane Society would be on the verge of closing its doors, she says that's just not a consideration. I don't believe that we'll ever get to that. I can't say because things change, but um, what I have heard over and over is that we won't close. Um, there is, There are animals still there that need our help, you know, and um, we have had quite a few volunteers be able to step up in the last couple of days that are coming and, and helping, and I don't see a reason for that to ever happen that we're going to have to close just by the volunteers that have shown support. We have started to get donations in. It's looking good that maybe here, hopefully within the next couple of days, we should be able to hire one or two people back if they'd like to come back. Um, you know, that, that, was, that was always the hope. Ms. Robbins says she understands the community's anger, but she's committed to fostering transparency as they go through the growing pains of what she calls much-needed changes. You know, all these things that people are saying, you know, I get it. There's been lack of communication. Um, they don't trust the Humane Society. Um, there's a lot of issues going on. And um, then now we have these big layoffs. Um, so that their anger is very valid. Um, and I, I hear it all. And we are trying to make things better. I know this is a new board and I'm new to the shelter. And... Um, you know, and we do need to right a lot of the wrongs that happened in the past. Administrator for the Government Employees Retirement System, Angel Dawson, recently sat down with Leslie Comision, host of WTJX-TV's Comes with the Territory, where they spoke candidly on the issues that precipitated much of the challenges the system currently faces. What led to the issues that the system were, was experiencing that cause for the legislation and the actions that had to be passed in order to stop a hemorrhaging? Well, there are a number of factors. Uh, let me share a couple numbers with you right off the top. $1.6 billion, which was the amount of assets, liquid assets, that the GRS held in 2007, and $400 million, which is the amount that the GRS held in at the end of 2021 went from $1.6 billion to $400 million. And as the governor indicated in his lead-in piece that was played, uh, we were a couple of years away from uh, insolvency. Yeah. Uh, if you consider the fact that the annual payroll of the GERS in terms of payments to retirees is approximately $240 million, $400 million means that you are less than two years away from not being able to pay uh, retirees. And uh, what led up to that was uh, we have a very generous uh, pension system. Absolutely. Uh, there were uh, actually some, uh, shall I say, questionable uh, Policy. Let's be frank. There, were, there was uh, <laughs> moves that were made by the legislature, I think some that uh, more or less pander to voters that were in the best interest of politics versus actual sound financial policy. Indeed. Thank you for saying that and sparing me having say, to say you, it. You don't have to get in trouble. Yeah, sorry. Uh, but uh, I think the major factor that we've had that contributed in addition to those is the fact that we've had an increasing number of retirees in comparison to the number of active employees. 
Mr. Dawson responded to the claim that many in the community make of bad local investments contributing to the crippling of the system. Investors not pay the system back for loans that have been uh, made, failed businesses, etc. What leeway does the board have to change that mix of investment that we currently have? They have some leeway, but before I address that head on, I would indicate that even though the alternative investments, as we call them, and two notable examples of that were Carambola uh, mm -hmm. Resort and St. Croix, and uh, West Bay uh, supermarket. Correct. I must indicate that even though they were challenged, uh, the GERS did recover all of its principles. And I'm glad you brought that up because yes. that's a fact that a lot right. of people in having the conversation is not aware of. Right. That, that is absolutely a fact. You can watch the full interview on demand through the free WTJX app. Senator Alma Francis Heiliger is introducing legislation to combat prescription drug abuse in the territory. Senator Heiliger says the bill, titled the Prescription Surveillance Law for Controlled Drugs, aims to combat what she calls a growing epidemic of prescription drug abuse in the territory. We do have a very large situation over the last 10 or so years where prescription drugs have become just as abused as illegal substances. And if we could put up mechanisms in place where there's checks and balances to make sure that this does not happen or we greatly reduce it from happening to our residents that they do become individuals that abuse prescription drugs, we don't want that for our community. We've already tackling uh, many illegal substances here in the territory. We don't want to add prescription drugs to that listing as well. The law seeks to create the Recipe Monitoring Program for Controlled Drugs, whose function will be to implement and maintain an electronic surveillance system for the monitoring of prescriptions or controlled substances and medications dispensed in the territory. The legislation has been in the works since 2021, and she says it's a continuation of her collaboration with former Senator Janelle Saro during the 34th legislature and inputs from key stakeholders. Dealing with the Department of Health, um, dealing with the pharmacy board, um, even collaborations with individuals um, from next door in Puerto Rico. So it's been a long-standing collaboration across the board from different agencies, even outside of the territory, as well as former senators to make sure that this comes to fruition. Senator Heiliger moves further to say the bill is wide in its reach and its intent underscores what she calls the urgent need for intervention, citing alarming statistics. For a copy of the proposed legislation and to provide comments or input, she wants residents to reach out to her office. 340-693-3600 or they could share their feedback with Senator Francis Heiliger at legvi.org. A reminder has been issued by the Office of the Lieutenant Governor for property owners that the deadline to apply for property tax credits against their 2024 property tax bills is Friday, March 1st. Applications to receive the credits can be found online at ltg.gov.vi and at the offices of the tax assessor on St. Thomas, St. Croix, and St. John. To be eligible for homestead credits against the 2024 property tax bill, Persons must be the property owner of record within the period of January 2nd, 2023 through January 1st of this year. Property owners may not apply for more than two credits to include the general homestead and one other. 
tax credits that are available include General Homestead with a maximum tax credit of $400, veterans with a maximum tax credit of $650, seniors or the disabled have a maximum tax credit of $500. Credit is also available to those with Class 1 inheritance. The credit is equal to 80% of the real property taxes levied until $5,000 or more of improvements are made on said property. Credit is also available to those who fall under the visitable home category whose maximum tax credit could be equal to 20% of the taxes levied by the tax assessor. Tax credits are also available for Virgin Islands farmers who are required to obtain certification from the Department of Agriculture by October 1st of the calendar year preceding the year for which they are seeking benefits. Property owners are also reminded that they are still required by law to pay a minimum property tax of $180. Owners who may be eligible for the mentioned tax credits can contact the Tax Assessor's Office on St. Thomas St. John at 340-774-2991 or on St. Croix at 340-773-6449. The Virgin Islands Department of Education has partnered with the Department of Health to host its Cradle Literacy Parent Webinar Series. Department of Health's Maternal Child Health Division's Director, Charmaine Myers, says the series is an interactive literacy program aimed at boosting literacy among Virgin Islanders from the time they are born. The first session was held on February 22nd, and the next upcoming webinar is scheduled for this Thursday, February 29th, and will focus on honoring a child's social and emotional needs through positive discipline. A lot of our children have been enduring some social and emotional challenges, right? We want to ensure that these children, we are able to um, identify these challenges and um, the children can get the necessary follow-up care that they need in order for them to live a happy, healthy life. The webinar is a continuation of their Cradle to Literacy program, a partnership where they provide books for children when they are born. We have a group that goes into the hospital every day for any early hearing intervention program. And they're able to give the books, distribute the books to these families before they leave the hospital. The webinar is free to those who wish to participate. And logging information can be found on both the Department of Health and the Department of Education's Facebook page. Anyone can partake. Like I said, whether you're a parent, an educator, a service provider, and caregivers, because, um, of course, of any child between the ages of zero and three. The Community Foundation of the Virgin Islands recently opened the 14th Little Library in the Territory. The newest library is located at the Joseph Aubain Ballpark in Frenchtown on St. Thomas and is sponsored by the Kentucky Highway Industries. The library was fully stocked of books at its ribbon cutting and is now accessible to all members of the community. In November, CFBI added its 13th little library at the Alvin McBean Ballpark. The foundation has also refurbished, updated, and restocked 12 other little free libraries across the territory. The Little Free Library program is a take a book, share a book, free book exchange that launched in 2019 in the territory, and it's aimed at inspiring a love of reading and increasing access to books for readers of all ages. 
To date, the Community Foundation of the Virgin Islands has distributed over 21,000 books and provided more than $97,000 in funding to provide books across the territory. For more information about sponsoring or requesting a Little Free Library at a specific location, contact CFVI Grants and Programs Director Beth Newtall at bethn at cfvi.net. The Senate Committee on Health, Hospitals, and Human Services will hold a Tri-Island Community Health Fair this week on Thursday, February 29th. We spoke with Committee Chairman Senator Ray Fonseca, who says the fair is being held to provide access to everyone in the community. We're going to have um, the Department of Health is going to be there with their mobile vans. The Department of Human Services is going to be there. We're going to have, um, you know, Cancer Society Center. You know, we're going to have free dental screenings, um, you know, blood pressure, blood glucose, blood cholesterol. We also have a barber is going to be there, going to give free haircuts, you know. So we're encouraging the community to come out. Now, one big bonus is that we were able to get some funding and those that are like a blood pressure stage two will probably be able to give them a flu free blood pressure monitor. Also, those that are diabetes with high, high sugar will be able to give them the Lancet and the strip tester and etc. The fair will be held from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Emancipation Garden on St. Thomas, from noon to 4 p.m. at the Frank Powell Park on St. John, and from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the D.C. Canagata Ballpark on St. Croix. Over the weekend, the 25th annual Eight Tough Miles was held on St. John, and seasoned marathon runners and amateurs from across the territory and the mainland converged on the island to participate in the annual race that begins on the west end at the National Park Visitor Center in Cruz Bay and travels into the east into Coral Bay. The highest point on the course is 999 feet, and the finish line is back near to sea level. Peter Alter, race director, credits volunteers for the continued success of the event. They're not necessarily into to running or walking the course, but the volunteers definitely make the event happen, and the whole community just comes out in full strength. You know, it's not a cliche. It's it's true. It, it actually happens that way. So uh, that's that's nice to see it um, grow, just like the number of entries, the, the number of volunteers grows every year as well. First in the men's bracket was 31-year-old Matthias Poporato from Christian said St. Croix with a time of 53 minutes and 57 seconds. And first in the women's bracket was 32-year-old Elise Yoshioka of St. Thomas with a time of 58 minutes and 9 seconds. Peter says in the first year, only 21 people participated in the race. This year, over 1,300 people registered to participate. Back in 1997, it was to quit smoking cigarettes, and I uh, accomplished that goal. <laughs> and uh, other people, uh, uh, other people, when I was doing the course, you know, it was just uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to the backstory of the whole of the whole Atuck Miles thing. It was after a couple of big hurricanes and um, back in you know, that were here, happened in 95 and 96. I wasn't actually on island then. And anyway, when I did come back in 90, late 96, it was the uh, St. John Action Committee looking for ways to entice people to come over from St. Thomas um, to St. John on the last Saturday of every month. And uh, I went to one of the meetings of the St. John Action Committee and pitched the idea of a foot race just to, you know, again, just to bring St. Tomians to St. John for the day. 
Well, now there was over 600 people today that flew in to do this. So as far as the economic impact that the event has on the island is, um, I don't know how to go about measuring that, but I know that it's, it's quite large. Bernard Douglas, owner and head trainer of Bad Fitness, signed 18 people up to participate. 14 of those was their first time participating in a marathon. Really and truly, I know a lot of people, they fear things like this, but all they need is somebody that believes in them enough to tell them they can do it. And that's what we're trying to do, just encourage them to do something that was outside of their norm. And they stood up. They did, I didn't even have to convince them too much. All I did was say it, and they was like, all right, will we sign up? So I just had to do it with them, and i just happy nobody finished by themselves. Silly Smith, one of those first-time participants, completed the race in one hour and 59 minutes. She says she'll be back next year. To finish, it felt pretty amazing, especially having coaches like the bath fam pushing me to the end. It was good. In the middle, I hurt my hips a little bit, but keep pushing and I made it through. We're turning now to our regional report. Peter Anthony Morgan, lead singer of the popular reggae band Morgan Heritage that he founded with his four siblings, died yesterday at the age of 46. His family asked for privacy and thanked everyone for their love and support. The family's announcement posted on social media did not share a cause of death. Jamaican Prime Minister Andrew Holness wrote on X, formerly Twitter, that his heart is heavy over the news. Peter and his siblings formed Morgan Heritage in 1994, and the band won a Grammy for their best reggae album in 2016 for Strictly Roots. We're turning now to our meteorologist for the territory's weather forecast. A nearby cold front to our west continues to keep things a bit unsettled, and showers will stick around as we look forward to the next several days, with the most concentrated activity slowly diminishing tomorrow afternoon. Beyond that, a few isolated showers may linger tomorrow night into Wednesday, with near-seasonable temperatures expected. Our forecast details, tonight we may see a few more showers. Temperatures drop back into the low to mid-70s. East and northeast winds at 10 to 15 will slowly diminish. We'll see more clouds and sun during the day tomorrow. There's still a chance of a few showers. Temperatures in the low to mid-80s. Look for an isolated shower tomorrow night, low to mid-70s. It'll be partly sunny with isolated showers on Wednesday. 82 to 86. No major changes to the overall pattern later in the week. There's a continued risk of a few pop-up showers both Thursday and Friday. I'm Precision Weather Meteorologist Russ Murley for WTJX. We are at the end of today's WTJX News Feed. I'm Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Join me every weekday at 5 p.m. And if you haven't already, be sure to download the WTJX app. If you miss a part of our news, you can listen to it on demand wherever you get your podcasts. 